HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman. So great to have you all joining us on this very hot, steamy day in New York in August. I am also very excited to welcome back our guest today, Felice Thorpe of Felice Foods. Felice has years of experience as a national sales director She has helped launch products into the marketplace. She is somebody who has worked in the cheese industry in many different capacities, and she knows sales. And I am so happy to have Felice here today to talk specifically about forecasting, which, let's face it, we all love to make cheese, we love to eat cheese, but for a company to really be viable and thrive They really need to get into the nitty gritty of forecasting and projections. And so we're going to get into that with uh, Felice Thorpe. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Great to be here. So you and I recently saw each other at the American Cheese Society Conference, and that's where we first started Mm -hmm. kind of talking about this topic, because it's something that like, I think everybody's, you know, concerned with. Um, And maybe there are times of year where they're more concerned with it than others, but, um, but it was definitely, you know, on the minds of a lot of people thinking about after the American Cheese Society conference, um, starting to look ahead at Q4 and beyond into 2023 and maybe beyond that. So can we, um, start with just defining some terms, uh, when we're, talking about forecasting sometimes people say projections what what are we talking about yeah yeah just so we're, we're all speaking the same language so to speak uh, forecasting and projections are used interchangeably so you can use those essentially the same um 
Some other important terms that are related around this subject um, are budgeting. And also I wanna to touch upon uh, profitability versus revenue. So just to kind of get into the, the uh, nitty gritty, like you say, uh, revenue is the total amount of money generated by the sale of your cheese. Profitability is also can be called net profit or your bottom line. And that is the money you have left over after you take out all of your expenses. It costs associated to make and generate your cheese. You can find all of these layers pretty easily online if you Google them, but it's typically shared internally as a document called an income statement. So profitability is really what we're looking for. Um, revenue is great, but at the end of the day, I want I want to have a profitable, profitable company. And I really believe that real success is positive cash flow, which is profitability. So uh, budgeting is assigning a purpose to the money that you have right now. Can you currently make payroll? Can you purchase new equipment? Where within the business the money needs to be allocated is part of your budgeting. Forecasting, or as we mentioned, projections can be used the same way, is what will you do with the money you don't have yet? So what does your projected revenue from a brand new account look like? What is the likely outcome of your future sales? What are your financial needs to meet your goals? And forecasting should be looked at monthly or quarterly. So all of these cash terms are equally as important. Um, but essentially what we want to do is put them into buckets of past, present, and future. So what cash did you have to start off with? What do you have today and what cash will you potentially have in the future? I can imagine that people, you know, in a, you know, who are building a growing company and that could be, you know, growing from like the, the onset, they're in the beginning stages of their company or they're you know, they've had some success, they've been rolling along for several years, maybe they're in their, you know, they're towards the end of their first five year plan, and they're, you know, looking at the next phase, or maybe they're even established, you know, been, been working in the industry uh, for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. I have a feeling that, like most things, we can get really stuck in the present. And because yeah. the unknown, it's always easier to deal with what's known rather than unknown. And I can also, like when you mentioned talking about, can you currently make payroll? Can you purchase mm -hmm. new equipment? Your, your machine just died and like the wrapper mm -hmm. went down or the vat has a leak or like that. It ha I mean, I could just imagine getting really stuck in the present. So like, how do you balance those three different phases at once, past, present, future? Well, you have to look at your business holistically as a sum of all of those parts. Um, so for example, um, you were talking about, you know, are you and just an emerging brand or are you a brand that is established launching a new product, right? Either way, you have to have demand. So you have to have what's the market potential for your brand or for the product, um, production, how am I going to make this product? 
procurement, what supplies do I need to make this product? And cash flow, how much cash do I need to make this happen? So um, the past, present, future is a sum of all of those parts. And I find it easiest to kind of digest that process when you put them into individual buckets and then you kind of start just analyzing each bucket and breaking down, you know, the, all the different uh, parts to make the sum. And one of the things that you said to me in a previous conversation was with forecasting um, that these plans are almost always wrong, that it's Mm -hmm. not about being right. It's about being less wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Can you can you say a little yeah. bit about that and maybe an example? Yeah. So one of my favorite business quotes is actually by Mike Tyson, ironically, and his quote is everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I feel <laughs> like we all need to sort of keep that in mind as we're making these plans and these forecasting uh plans because we're all Uh, approaching it with the best intention. um, And a forecast is an art, a science, and an educated guess, right? So the art is maybe your history around the industry and, you know, talking to your friends and how are they doing? And so that's the art part. The science is the data. So looking at the data around your category, the data around your type of cheese, potentially, you know, um, if it's a cheddar, uh, artisanal cheddar, trying to find category data, open source category data online. Um, And then an educated guess is, again, just, you know, looking at your, looking at all the parts of your sum. So what is the market potential? Um, What supplies do I need? That all goes into the educated guess. Um, And then, I just want to say another great quote uh, by Roosevelt, which is comparison is the thief of joy, which is just sort of to remind everybody that each individual business is so different and what your goals are as a business is so different. And so it's important to keep in mind that we can look at our competition or, you know, look at other founders or brands, but sometimes comparison can kind of take away from what your mission is for your own company. So just keep that in mind that, you know, what you're, what you're doing um, is, is individually unique to your company. Yeah. And I can imagine that there's probably a lot of pressure to stay positive all the time um, to, to when you're, when you are forecasting, um, when you are looking, um, uh, at, uh, at the unknowns, right. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, you want to stay positive. You want to stay optimistic. Um, but you know, it, the unknown is scary there there's, so I guess the other buckets are your knowns and your unknowns and having the data, which actually goes back to the last time you and I talked, we mm-hmm. were talking about the importance of data and the availability of data that's out there now. Um, that can help people figure out uh, what's happening in the marketplace and um, and if they are heading in the right direction with the right brand or the right pack mix or the right customer, um, the right price. I mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I find something that I, that is really, really, really helpful is just, you know, um, doing price surveys. Yeah, just getting out there that and seeing observational how data, cost. right? We <laughs> talked about, yeah, we talked about how important observational data is and people, if you don't get out into the marketplace, you really can lose touch of that. And some data is gleaned through conversations, right? So speaking to a buyer or category manager about what are your, what are the velocity expectations of this? of this category of this set. And that's a great way. I mean, that is one of the methods of um, finding uh, or doing forecasting is, is finding out what that expectation is for velocity. And that could be essentially your minimum forecast. So you said earlier in this conversation, when we first started, that you believe that people should be doing uh, forecasting monthly or quarterly. Yeah, it's oh, I mean, it's, you know, if you look at sort of large business events, potentially that could happen, um, that, you know, it does happen. It just, it's just part of, part of business is um, when those um, business events change, it could be, um, you know, uh, we've talked about that crazy TikTok a shortage at ACS, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about something wacky like that. If you're making, if you're a feta manufacturer and you've got like this incredible event that happens like that, that's completely out of the blue, that is going to absolutely change your potential forecast. And that is the type of um, thing that, you know, your month to month, it could change depending on what the need is for something like that. So yeah, I like to look at revised massage monthly, quarterly. And some of the um, other factors that can impact your sales projections. So we, you talked about the, the, the social media viral um, explosion of um, that feta recipe (laughs) that took, that took TikTok and Instagram by storm uh, last year. And suddenly nobody had any feta because everybody bought it all. (laughs) And um, so there's social media when things go viral. What are some other factors that can impact your sales projections? Um, Gosh, I mean, weather. There, you know, there are so many horrible weather, uh, seasonality of product, right? If you have, if you're creating a cheese that's, um, maybe consumed mostly around the holidays, economic forecasts, if you're, you know, potentially moving into a recession or, or the economy is booming, um, general category growth or shrinkage, you know, like the FEDA category grew after that, um, TikTok, um, episode, which is crazy. Um, internal management changes at an account that you have no control over. So, um, you know, they've decided to shrink your category of cheese or grow your category of cheese, or, or they have a new buyer at the desk or, you know, that there's, there are so many factors that are out of your control. I mean, we try to, try to, Uh, manage what we can control, but we all remember that image of those giant cargo ships 
sitting off of Long Beach with, you know, packaging supplies on them and all kinds of supplies that people needed sitting there months and months. So that's an external factor that no one has control over that could potentially affect affect a forecast. So um, just keeping all of those factors in mind. And, um, you know, that's why I do think it's good to address it, to look back at forecasts monthly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right now, I, I think we're all getting a lesson in forecasting um, as we're, you know, watching the, the impact of several of the things that you listed out on um, supply chains. There's the weather. There's, uh, mm-hmm. I think the last one I heard about was the mustard crops. Mm-hmm. Um we're seeing, um, then there was the sriracha because of the shortage um, of uh, peppers, because I believe that was also weather related. Um, mm. We know that there are still some uh, supply chain issues with just product being able to reach ports um, that uh, on time. Um, and, uh, and we're seeing also that some in agriculture, you know, some uh, industries and farmers in certain sectors made their planting, um, their plans for crops based on projections that mm-hmm. uh, were accurate at the time. Uh, because but let's face it, it's been very unpredictable the last few years. <laughs> yeah. So th- there is not a lot of um, consistency in the data. I don't know if that means the data is less reliable or more reliable, but um, when you have a cheese that takes a year or two to age, and I'm thinking of like Parmigiano Reggiano, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and you are trying to plan out based on projections that you're making in 2020 or 2021, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's interesting that you talk about planning or, or looking at your projections monthly or quarterly, when sometimes you're looking at your projections on a product that takes, you know, nine to 12 to 18 months before it can be sold. That's yeah. an interesting conundrum. There, there is a myriad of unknowns, that's for sure. And it's hard coming from a sales perspective because there is significant internal Um, and external pressure to have an optimistic forecast. You know, every business wants the sales team to say great things about the future sales of of the product. And you feel that pressure of trying to balance the um, you know, optimism and kind of pushing the envelope of sales potential. And then also keeping in mind, you know, all of the nuances and, and uh, peaks and valleys that you can have with it. So I think that um, really getting as many people involved in this conversation from the very beginning internally is so important. You know, production should be involved in forecasting, obviously, operations, procurement, um, if you're a farmstead, you know, the farmer, um, the sales team, the marketing team, you know, it might turn out that the marketing team is like, well, you guys, we don't have the budget to participate in that trade show this year. And, you know, we're 
our your expectation was that we were going to um, get some great sales from you know participating in that trade show. So you have so everyone really needs to be looped into this conversation. It's obviously not just a sales conversation. And there definitely is, I believe now, with social media and with more, um, uh, and, I, and I don't, I'm not just referring to like TikTok and Instagram, but also just the plethora of food writers and food influencers and the amount of um, marketing that uh, retailers can do now um, on various platforms there's a lot more influence, uh, you know, more, more ways that the, um, the market can be influenced. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause when you were talking about how much, you know, we have to think about what we can control and yeah. pre cheese, when I was a program director, we, um, would often look at this, uh, tool of being able to manage our work where we had concentric circles and there was, in the center, the smallest circle was what you can control. And mm-hmm. then uh, right around that was your your sphere of influence, which was a little bit bigger. And then the largest circle that kind of went around both of those was stuff you just could not do anything about. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and we have that, a lot that ring of that. Of, yeah. Yeah. And that ring of influence seems to... Um, I don't know. It feels like it's getting larger with the amount of um, voices um, that uh, are, can influence the market with um, posting a recipe or appearing on a YouTube channel or, um, I don't know, if you're in the right place at the right time at a restaurant. Um, yeah, or dietary trends, right? So yes. keto or low sodium or high fat, or, I mean, I don't even, I can't even keep up with all of them, but I'm sure they potentially affect forecasting at certain points. Right. Right. For sure. Well, we're going to take a little break to hear from our sponsor for uh, this episode of Cutting the Curd. Thank you very much to our sponsor. And, um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, approaches Mm -hmm. uh, to working out forecasting. And um, we'll be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. 
No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. And we're back with our guest today, Felice Thorpe from Felice Foods. And we are talking about forecasting and sales because we make cheese, then we sell the cheese. And uh, we just want to keep selling and growing and keep this industry thriving. So uh, so let's talk about um, approaches to working out forecasting. You uh, have um, uh, two common methods that uh, you wanted to talk about. And I know one of them, I think you prefer over the other. Was there, mm-hmm. you have a preference? Okay. Yeah. So the most two common methods, um, you know, forecasting is also sort of essentially revenue growth management. Um, and this is um, managing your revenue through an increase in availability of the right product, the right pack mix, the right customer, the right price at the right time. <laughs> and that's a lot of rights that need to go right, right? But um, that's that's what we have to do to make this all work. And the two types of methods that I use to um, help with revenue growth management is um, one I'm less fond of, but it's pretty popular, which is a market share method of forecasting. And that's basically looking at all the products in the marketplace that are in your category or your type, type of product, and then estimating the potential market share that you could have of that. Um, it's a very loose estimate. I don't, you know, there. I don't completely uh, believe it works, um, but it gives. It's 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 a good kind of big picture way to look at potential profitability. The clearer picture of of this is um, bottoms up retail store forecasting, and I believe um, this is more accurate and it's. The basically it is you estimate how many number of stores you're going to potentially go into and then how many units of your products sold per store per week. And then that you multiply that out and that's the total estimated units and the how many units sold per store per week that is going back to that conversation of that's so important with the buyer or the category manager about the velocity expectations. So when you're selling into a retailer, asking them, you know, from the get-go, hey, how many units per week do I need to sell to stay in this place? And that gives you your minimum uh, required projection, right? So you 
you want to sell more than that, but you know that you can't dip below that because if you dip below that, there's a threat of being discontinued. So that's a pretty accurate way to determine your forecast. And it's funny because buyers are doing forecasts too. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so you as a producer are doing a forecast. The people you're selling to, you know, they're doing their own forecasting and making decisions based on that. And so, um, you know, from, from a sales perspective, one thing that's always so important too is finding out when those schedules are, when are those review schedules? When are those launch schedules? Um, because it can help you kind of figure out, you know, um, you know, if you're going after placement in a cert with a certain, customer, a certain, you know, retailer or e-commerce platform, or even just like getting into like a really large farmer's market, like the green market in Mm -hmm. New York city is huge. That can be big volume for people if you're a certain size customer or or a certain size cheesemaker. So, um, but knowing like anticipating, you know, we're going to try to land this account. And then if we do, that means it launches in this month. Um, you know, it's so important to be able to have all that information. So, you know, always thinking, you know, X number of months ahead. And again, that's part, I guess, part of the unknown, right? It's that uncertainty you're planning for, for a future, one of several possible futures, I guess is the best way to yeah. And yeah, and it's a unique, you know, cheese is, is unique to other consumer packaged goods because like you mentioned before, you've got your variables of the fresh cheese and the aged cheese. So it's probably more similar to the, the wine industry where you've got your uh, wine that maybe is to be consumed right away, sold and consumed right away. And then you've got the wine that's you know, going to be cellared, right? So those are, the time frame is different than a granola or a potato chip that has like a six month shelf life. And that's the beginning, middle and end of that, the life of that product. Whereas an aged cheese can go on and on and on. So it's definitely, there's more variables in forecasting cheese versus other consumer packaged goods. So not everybody that gets into creating, um, you know, a, a product um, is coming to this with an MBA, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And um, you know, they, you know, and we all we all come to things, uh, you know, from our own path. Um, but there are a lot of tools available um, that are available, like pretty easily to help people, um, in their various stages of, um, of where they're at with the size of their company and the, and the scope of their forecasting. What are some of your favorite tools that you would refer people to? Yeah. Um, I got turned on to a great, um, budgeting app for small business and this was turned on to me by a CFO who uses it herself. It's called Y-N-A-B. 
which stands for you need a budget. Um, and it's so it's a personal budgeting tool, but it's also a small business budgeting tool. It's great. Like I said, it's an app, so it's really user friendly. Um, a great um, app or software for small business. Also, HubSpot um, has a forecasting feature in it. Zoho is also a small business CRM that has a forecasting feature. Um, and then an operations inventory forecasting software for small business, which actually integrates with QuickBooks. Um, so your finance team, or um, if you are the finance team, you're, you're, you'll appreciate it, is called Fiddle. Um, so that's for inventory forecasting, which again is small business focused. Um, yeah, to, tools and resources, they're becoming easier and easier. They're becoming, you know, less expensive. Um, most companies don't need anything ro as robust as like a Salesforce for forecasting. Right. Um, so in lieu of a Salesforce, you know, try a HubSpot or a Zoho. So um, going back just a little bit to our definitions, so we, you know, the forecasting projections, we talked about how those are terms that are used interchangeably. Um, and then um, can you talk a little bit more about um, how, how this looks um, in relation to budgeting? Um, because I'm wondering, like, when, like, is there a way for a company to prepare? Like, when is there suddenly this, time in the life of a company where they suddenly realize that they have to start forecasting because budgeting it seems like mm -hmm. to be like the things the thing you do first right it's like mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. like this is this is how you make your company run um so um so like when when do you do this when do you shift gears and start moving from or adding on forecasting and projections to your budgeting practice? Like, um, is it when you decide to write your business plan? Is it during a profit assessment? And what is a profit assessment? So every company needs to do forecasting because forecasting gives insight into your future budget. So I think that I mean, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg paradox, right? But it's, they're definitely integrated. Um, again, it will give you kind of a crystal ball into, you know, can I hire that new salesperson or what are my packaging, future packaging needs or equipment needs or, and all of that involves cash, right? So this is all, we're all, this is all about cash. <laughs> um, again, what cash did I have in the past? Maybe as you were starting off, what, what cash do I have today? What cash am, am I going to have in the future? Um, and just to elaborate a little bit more on when you do this sort of in your yearly life cycle of a business is I'm not a tax expert and I'm not an accounting expert or even a finance expert, but it's all done within a fiscal year. And a fiscal year is a one year period of time that companies use for financial reporting. And it is interesting 
because the fiscal year, I Jessica, you probably noticed this yourself working with different brands, how people, different companies have different fiscal years. And mm-hmm. it's always sort of confusing to me. I mean, I understand the, you know, the theory and I, I, I understand it, but it's always like you have to sort of retrain your brain as to what their specific fiscal year is. And it really essentially comes down to like, if you look at um, schools, um, that's industry specific, their fiscal year begins and ends according to the school calendar year. So that kind of gives you an idea into how you as a cheese brand um, should set up your fiscal year. So some cheese companies will use a fiscal year that is based upon their revenue cycle. Um, So if you have a large portion of earnings coming in around the holidays, you can end your fiscal year, for example, the end of January. And that's fairly common. Um, Retailers do that as well. A um, A lot of large retailers end their fiscal year at the end of January because the holidays are so important to them. So, um, yeah, so we all need to be doing forecasting and we all have our unique, you know, fiscal year that we're doing all this money work in. um, And that will be dependent on your, you know, your, your financial workflow. So one of the, um, one of the cheesemakers that um, I was thinking of when we were talking about fiscal years recently was um, a company that actually their fiscal year ended. Um, they went, I believe it was uh, April that it, um, because, you know, so kind of like it was a time where they could catch their breath mm-hmm. to try and end their you know, to have their fiscal year, you know, start and end around December, January was too stressful Mm -hmm. um, because it meant um, getting through Q4 holiday, um, you know, just too much was going on and it was not a time for them to be able to focus on uh, anything else. Um, Then I knew somebody who does it in June Um, so I, yeah, I do think that there is, um, no, it's what works for you. And that was eye opening to me. I, it was the first time I had ever heard a fiscal year ending at some other time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as the IRS knows, that's the most important thing. Right. 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 As long as they get their money. Um, and then, uh, and then what, and then what is a profit assessment? Like oh, at, yeah, I'm sorry. You, you about, no, that. it's okay. But yeah, yeah. you were talking about where it like helps you focus your attention. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I do with my clients that um, that is really, really important work that you can easily do this on your own is a skew SWOT analysis. So I'm just going to kind of start from the beginning of how I do a, a profit assessment. Um, And you do a SWOT analysis just to kind of refresh everyone's memory is a strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat um, per each SKU. And again, um, working through this conversation through every potential 
stakeholder in the company, you know, what is the threat to production is going to be a different answer from market, marketing's answer, right? So getting all of those answers and then, and then doing a profitability assessment based upon the profit margin of the, of each SKU, um, going back to, you know, profitability is, is what, is what we all want. Revenue is great, but we need to be profitable. So which SKUs are profitable SKUs? And then looking at that profitability assessment, that SWOT analysis, and then building kind of a portfolio strategy. So that's essentially, okay, we've done our due diligence on everything we make, and maybe we're going to pause production on this product because it's currently not profitable, or maybe we're going to discontinue this product because we don't have the target audience for it. And then that's your portfolio strategy. So basically, you've got your, you know, new improved uh, products that you're going to um, and going to uh, sell, and it's just a much cleaner way to make those decisions. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I just took a crash course in <laughs> in in uh, in sales again. I love it. Um, and I know there's just like, this is like the tip of the iceberg. And I hope that they're, you know, for people who are listening, that they're coming away with something that's resonating, that makes them think, you know, that they want to go take a deeper dive or maybe examine their practice, see what they're doing. Um, and maybe check out some of those tools that you mentioned, but this is, um, you know, this is like, the parallel conversation we have to have alongside talking about making cheese um, because yeah. we want people to be able to continue making cheese. And, um, and, uh, and I know there are people out there who are, you know, looking at um, some growth and, or have, you know, big plans um, for their next phase or their next act. And, I hope that today's conversation um, gave them gave them some some ideas or some tools that they can use uh, to help them grow. Um, but I really appreciate you coming back. Yeah, to cutting the curd, please. Yeah, it's and always love, great to have yeah, you. Yeah, and I love your optimism. I'm super optimistic about our in general about our um, future in this industry. I think that. Things are only looking up. And as the economy tightens, don't retreat. Please don't retreat. Please just focus on your target audience and double down on your portfolio strategy. Understand that, um, you know, understand all of your costs. And when I say costs, I also mean opportunity costs, um, which I think we tend to sort of ignore, which is essentially when you choose to work with a channel of business, you're choosing to spend time there instead of somewhere else and understanding what those opportunity costs are. Um, and yeah, my hypothesis is that 
you, that you'll do fine. If you, you'll do more than fine, you know, if you put this work, this homework into it, including forecasting and budgeting and really making your end goal being a profitable company. I love it. That's <laughs> such a great way to end on a very, a very optimistic note. Um, thank you again so much, Felice. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning into another podcast episode of Cutting the Curd. And uh, again, check out our sponsor, check out our website, um, heritageradionetwork.org. And also find us on Instagram. And I look forward to being back here with you all soon. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.